This is Line Dance Podcast. I'm Christopher Gonzalez. Okie dokie, here we are again on Line Dance Podcast, Move Radio, with another article here. We may even have time for another one after that, and I think that would be a good time for musical break. Here is our article from danceteacher.com, Four Ways to Develop Stage Presence in Class. When Elizabeth Farrell was a young student, Suzanne Farrell told her something she'll never forget. She said she was going to paint eyeballs on my eyelids, Farrell says laughing, because I was looking down all the time. Farrell now uses the same phrase when she teaches at American Ballet Theater Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis School. Students have to make sure their eyes are open and alive so they can communicate with the audience, she says. It starts in the classroom. Some dancers instinctively know how to engage an audience. For others, stage presence is a learned skill that must be developed over time and practiced in class. From encouraging simple postures to coaching nuanced facial expressions, there are ways you can help students explore how to present themselves professionally prior to getting on stage. So we've got a few different bold printed items here. And for people who are out there thinking, stage presence, I don't perform, I just go out and dance, I just have fun. Well, for people who want to go into choreography and want to give a demo, (laughs) or people who want to become part of a line dance teaching staff and will be expected to be part of the performance. Or a dance team. Or a dance team. These are some things that will help you in looking like a public figure who dances confidently. Number one, it's how you carry yourself. Tony Coppola of the Rock Center for Dance in Las Vegas suggests dancers consider themselves performers 24 hours a day. Your stage presence, or carriage of yourself, he says, is important not just within the walls of the studio. It's how you present yourself in daily life, even when you're walking into a grocery store. Good posture plays an important role in establishing body carriage. Dancers should think of projecting the energy of their chests up and forward into space while aiming to have the longest neck possible. Christina Johnson, rehearsal director at Complexion's Contemporary Ballet, might ask dancers to show off the diamonds on their imaginary necklaces, using imagery to help inspire the right feeling. Acting classes can also help dancers feel more comfortable with storytelling and dramatic roles. My musical theater students have a little edge over the ones who are only dancing, says Coppola. They have a different presence and confidence. I like that they give very specific examples of what to do with your body, especially for a radio show, because you can describe it without having a photo. True. Um, I mean, good posture is important anyways. Um, So I like how they they were referring to even when you're walking into a grocery store. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and the more you practice certain things, the more natural it becomes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so having the posture and the upright position while you're just walking around doing everyday chores certainly helps that once you hit the floor or the stage, you have that same natural instinct to go into that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the saying, you fight the way you train. Exactly. Yeah. Or uh, there's another one. The more you 
sweat in practice, the less you'll bleed in battle. And I think that's one of the things that makes Rachel look so effortless when she has a solo performance at, at any of these events. She looks just effortless with it and completely graceful, but who knows how much she had to focus on specific things that she needed to smooth out when no one was looking. Yeah. Yeah. Also, the uh, bit about lengthening the neck, that was something that my um, musical director at Sonoma State, Lynn Morrow, would do with us, where she, like, if, right now what I'm going to do to describe for people is I'm going to kind of, like, lean forward, my neck is sticking forward, and my chin is pointing forward and down a little bit. It looks very uncomfortable. Oh, yeah, yeah. The back of my hair... Uh, at the nape of my neck is squished down to about shoulder level. And what she would do to students sometimes is just grab them by the back of their hair and pull straight up like a, like you're lifting a cat. And she would just kind of shake your head with the hair pulled so that um, she would uh, describe it to people. It would be like having a balloon attached to the back of your head. So that line that they mentioned in the article is straight. And then from there, you don't want your chin to be too connected to your, to your um, throat or chest. So then you tilt up from there. First step is bringing up the back of your head, and then you lift your chin a little bit, and it lets all this air out. It just opens up the passageway for air to travel through. And it's a lot... It's a lot um, more powerful than when you're squished down like this and everything's compressed like I did at the beginning. Bah. Um, another nice thing about the lengthening of like your spine and everything and standing upright and extending your neck upwards, um, it really uses your height. Oh, yeah, Cat Painter has mentioned that. Um, when you're dancing, mm. and it it really does add a presence into your dancing. Mm-hmm. It really, it changes how you move and how you step and how um, the whole process actually looks and feels. Mm-hmm. So um, it's it's fun to watch people change their height based on standing upright versus like if they're trying to get a little bit more hip hop funky and they kind of bend a little bit more or something like that it it certainly adds to the dance and the music itself Mm -hmm. and as an instructor you don't want to seem like you're apologizing for being there because maybe once it can seem cute like um like, oh, thank you all. Uh, I really didn't expect I was going to be here. And, like, you know, there's a difference between, like, humility and just self-deprecation. Yes. And if you're acting like you don't belong there, then students will think you don't belong there. And if you if you go too far with the whole... Um, uh, I mean, if... if, if hmm. I'm trying to phrase this in a way that doesn't sound rude, but, like, after a while, it's not so cute, (laughs) you know? Like, uh, if you are prepared and you know your stuff, then you have just as much right to be there as any of the established instructors. So, at that point, like, 
it's okay that you're teaching the lesson. Yes, that's a big thing. Also, um, again, without having this be interpreted as um, strange sounding, line dancers are suggestible because we are so willing to accept what another person has created and called a dance. If we, as the choreographers, keep apologizing for having created something and we almost say like, well, this isn't really a dance. This is just like three different steps that you do for 32 counts symmetrically. And if you want to call it by this title, you can, but it's not really a dance. They're like classic absolute beginner dances that people just accept our dances and there's nothing wrong with them. So if you are telling people by how hunched over and scared you are that your dance is not actually a dance and I mean it's kind of fun but I mean don't have too much fun with it because it's not really a dance then people aren't going to want to do it like they're not going to want to share it they're not going to want to teach their own classes because if you can't stand behind it why should they yeah so having that attitude that they mentioned in the in this uh, paragraph about like carrying yourself like this all the time it when, when other people see that, they accept the legitimacy of whatever you've choreographed. And if they wouldn't have before, when they just saw the steps, then they'll see you do it and they'll say, oh, wow. No, this what, what that person is experiencing is intentional and strong and fun. And if I teach this to my students, then what they are going to experience is strength and fun. Yes, I wholeheartedly agree. Mm. And that can also be augmented with number two. Communicate with the upper body. Encourage the use of épaulement. Showing how each position can translate into a different mood or feeling. In tendu crasé, it's a proud feeling. With a wide chest and shoulders, head lifted and focus up, says Farrell. In écarté, the eyes are lowered. Or raised, and it's a different feeling, more mysterious. Farrell might also add a porte-bras to greet the pianist or a guest in the room. The porte-bras and épaulement aren't just positions. They're communication tools, she says. The dancers should invite the person or audience to go with them. Stomp Your Feet has one of those with the reaching up and tap-tap bit. I find that looking up toward the hand really kind of sells the immersion of it. Whereas if you're just like looking across the room and you reach up and you tap tap, then it seems weird. Like, are we all just like reaching our hands up and tapping air? Like, what a strange thing to do. Like, we're not really totally into it. We don't really believe it. But when you reach up and you go as high as you can on your toes, then you really bam, bam, and you're watching your hand do that then it feels like the most natural thing. Like, that's what you're supposed to do there. And then anyone who sees that kind of accepts that as well. Yeah. Um, One thing that kind of came to mind, um, for one, obviously, like, your facial expressions certainly add to the mood Mm -hmm. of the dance and or song. Um, You generally don't want to have this, like, amazing smile like oh my gosh this is so much fun when you're dancing sound of silence Hmm. you probably want to express something 
a little bit more on the like neutral side of facial expressions because it's that's where the mood is set. Um, but what really came to mind was I was looking at uh, different videos that came up on my suggested feed for uh, YouTube, and there was a demo of a group of, of people doing uh, Rachel's Let It Out. Mm. And because she, I actually took the lesson from her, um, I'm familiar with where the steps are and how she explained certain movements. Mm-hmm. And as I'm watching, there's a point um, in which you essentially do like two two hitches or two knee raises or something like that. Um, and this group of, of dancers just lifted their knees, which is completely different from what she was explaining in her lesson which was like hunch over a little bit. And as you lift your left leg, I want you to bring your right hand and slightly tap it against the inside of your leg or your knee um, and get kind of funky with it. And that is a totally different look and feel to the dance with those two movements because she's engaging more of her body as opposed to just lifting her legs. Mm-hmm. So by engaging her her upper body, it brings you more into it with her. Like it said, invite uh, a person or an audience to go with you. That's really grabbing you and bringing you in as she's moving. Um, as opposed to just, oh, look, knee, knee, you know. Hmm. It gives it more of that authentic feel, um, you know. And both are, the, it's the, essentially the same step. It's just you're adding that extra little flavor. Mm-hmm. For people who have a, a pen and paper at home, and since we have time, I'm thinking there are, since you mentioned Sound of Silence, there are a few dances that I can think of that use the upper body in a way that you can explore. So for people who maybe are newer to line dance and they haven't heard all these before, like now's a great time to to look them up on your I was going to say uncoppernot, but on your step sheet website of choice, it might be Line Dancer or Kick It or any other site. So Stomp Your Feet's one of them. And there's definitely a difference between just kind of mumbling your hands through the end portion or really hitting them and doing the domino thing and stretching forward with arms spread. It, It looks more like you intend to do that. And it looks strong and interesting. Uh, so Stomp Your Feet has a lot of different hand things. A lot of it. Part B is just all kinds of upper body and hand things. Um, so definitely look at Stomp Your Feet. Um, as you mentioned, Sound of Silence has some reaches in it that uh, you can uh, you can feel the contraction of your arms in them. And like the different reaches are si- slightly different. There will be like the the reach down with your hands so that you're looking at the cobblestone road and then there's the one where you're reaching up and like all the people are there and so on. Um, Fine By Me even has that uh, where you make the heart with your hands and the arabesques where you're reaching way out um, before you come down. She only loves me when the uh, lights are uh, lights are out or whatever. Um, and you go up with your arms and then down into a crouch. So you can really get a stretch there uh, when, you're, when you're doing that one. Um, Shake That has a similar bit with the tag that uh, I think Madison called the Simon. She did. Yeah, where you reach way up right before the last sequence of part Bs 
over and over. And um, I think the, the music also lends itself to like a wah, so you can get up real high on that with your arms. Um, larger than life, speaking of Simon, um, there is, actually there are a couple parts. There's, um, there's the tag where you reach out and over your head and then down, and that's during the mysterious part of larger than life. Um, and also at the very end of that section, he specifies that there is a fist pump when it's like one, two, three, turn, you're supposed to pump your fist into the air as also happens in Harden Up Princess. So you can, you can feel the difference between just kind of throwing your hand up, maybe like an inch above your head, like pawing like a cat versus really punch that fist and see how that affects your experience of the dance. Yeah. Um, in a choreography standpoint, um, that's where communicating with your upper body is remembering that you no longer have to have your thumbs in your belt loops and your pants pockets or your buckle or whatever style you're used to dancing there is a lot of arm movement in dances nowadays i mean you had referenced it earlier but skinny love mm. there's a lot um oh, yeah. that just engages from top to bottom i mean and it goes even further in like do something crazy you know you're doing a bunch of stuff with your hands but there's also a towel so you know like there's a lot of stuff that has entered into our dance community that helps accentuate things. It helps hits. Um, it helps in certain tags because, you know, like sometimes it's really nice just to stand there for two to four counts. But if you're just standing there for two to four counts, sometimes it also feels a little empty. Mm. So if you have your arms, you know, go up and over your head, or if you bring a heart shape down or, uh, you know, just something small like that, can add a whole lot to your dance. Um, one of the dances that has recently caught my attention is a clap snap because mm. there's just so much head to toe m- movement and you get to have fun with your arms. You get to have, you know, great steps and you're like, it really just engages you. So it helps when you're doing other dances. Um, now that you have these other dances in which it's choreographed, arm movement you can start thinking about how you use your arms in dizzy mm-hmm. like where you place them how it naturally flows um if you ever have the chance to take a lesson from uh joe thompson Samansky with a waltz mm-hmm. it was amazing like i learned so much in her one lesson at dancing for the dream for i believe it was rita's waltz mm-hmm. Um, she goes over arm movement and how to like even hold your hands, um, and how it naturally flows versus like if you just let them like, you know, dead arm or fish arm or whatever, um, and just kind of like flop back and forth versus when they, you're forcing it, it looks, um, inorganic. Um, and it just helps you kind of like just open up your body and your dancing abilities when you start using your arms and your upper body more by standing up straighter or letting your arms as you slowly twist, you know, having the one arm lead you versus going back the other way the other arm leads you. 
um, it certainly helps to be more engaging for mm -hmm. sure, as opposed to just, you know, thumbs in your buckles and you're just kind of like, yeah, I'm having fun, I swear. Yeah, some of the things that she mentioned with waltzes I've definitely experienced with uh, dances like pieces, where there is no explicit arm choreography, but there are a lot of places where your arms naturally want to do something. And if you're not used to that, you might be telling them, no, no, don't do that, arms. There's an arm choreography here. Just feel it. Let it flow from your, your core and uh, just see where the arms want to go. And that can help deepen your experience of those dances, those sorts of uh, non-arm uh, non choreographed dances. Also, you mentioned um, Clap Snap, and that reminded me also of New Thang and Gimme Gimme, both of which uh, have involved Rebecca Lee, and she does so much stuff with arms. It's, it's different and fun to do. Like, if you're coming out of the country bars and all you are used to is just doing claps, and, like, that's the most you do with your arms, like, this, um, this style that she brings can make you think differently about what you could do. And, I mean, I couldn't even really begin to open the, the door on, like, Guyton. No, yeah, right. Yeah. Um, another thing I actually do, depending on the mood of the dance, um, I'm very fortunate that I know some sign language um and it's most i do most commonly use it um during cat painters fishing um i sign a lot because like i don't necessarily know what to do with my arms at that point so oh what a better way to engage myself than to sign the words um as i'm dancing because i'm not only at that point engaging my arms but i'm actually saying something too mm -hmm. so it's kind of a, a fun thing that i've i've learned um, to incorporate into some of the dances I do. Hmm. Number three on our list. Relate to the music. To help students overcome any shyness or embarrassment over expressing themselves, Farrell asks them to respond to the music being played for each exercise in class. They don't have to smile necessarily or perform, she says, but they should feel the different kinds of responses their bodies have to certain music. When they step forward for an adagio, for example, Farrell suggests they take a soulful approach. In Petit Allegro, the dancers should have attack in their legs and show energy in their facial expressions. It's a different feeling completely, she says. A pianist can help by playing music that students know and love. If you don't have an accompanist, Download songs or find CDs that might inspire emotion in your class. Find a song that the kids really relate to, and then their plies will become a performance, says Farrell. So if you take the music out just for a minute, I believe it was uh, Michelle Perron in Palm Springs this last year. She had um, a little technique workshop that she did and I believe she just started off with walking. Mm -hmm. And she went over different ways of stepping. How you can step, you know, like heel to toe, toe to heel on the outside. How if you roll into it, you get a different feel. Um, so if you do simple exercises like that, um, it's going to start you off in that, like, different ways of moving. Then you add in, okay, 
Now you know all these different ways of walking. I'm going to put on a couple different songs, you know, 30 seconds, 45 seconds long. Walk. Whichever way you feel the music is expressing, um, if it's a roll, if it's a stomp, it, you know, do it um, and go from there. I think that's a great way to get them to really listen to the music. Um, they have the tools to just kind of figure out, even if it's just as basic as walking back and forth, um, they have something to work with. They don't just have to be like, okay, well, what is my body telling me to do? I have... I, I need to move somehow. Like a lot of people get caught up in the overthinking process. So if they have six different steps, like styles of walking that they can do, um, they can play with it. They can listen to the music and, you know, as they're walking around, it gets them to relate to it and start to understand. And then they can actually start feeling how to then express what the music is saying along with the step. Also encouraging students to listen to the music more closely will help when you're trying to convince them with tags and restarts. Don't worry. You'll hear it in the music. <laughs> right? Yeah. If they don't know what they're hearing for, like what is it that they should be taking as a signal that something's about to change, then they are going to go into it blindly. And you want them to feel prepared. So give them some idea of like what tends to happen in different kinds of songs. Like here's where they're building up, here's their big climax, and then here's where they're cooling you down so they can get into the verse and start the whole process over again. And then, you know, here comes the bridge. Now it's going to be the big finish. That also helps for people who don't know how to pace themselves or pace their energy. And they're putting everything into the first verse. By the time the chorus comes along, they got nothing. Yes. Like this can help them feel more like they're expressing the chorus, which is the part that you, you'd think they would want to hit the most um, and not burn out before they ever get to that point. Yeah, absolutely. Number four of four. Remember the eyes. Dancers should use their eyes to connect with other dancers and the audience. If they want us to focus on their point work, or if it's a romantic feeling in an adagio, then a downcast gaze is okay, says Farrell. Otherwise, we want to see their eyes. Standing at bar, dancers should look beyond the person standing in front of them. When in arabesque, the focused must go past the fingertips. It's the same in center, she says. They should look beyond the mirror, so they don't get that vacant look that kids can sometimes get. Occasionally, dancers may overdo their facial expressions. I remind students that the performance is not for their dentist, says Coppola. They can't have a forced smile. If dancers continue to exaggerate or appear insincere, Coppola will have them repeat the dance with no expression at all. Then, which, with each run-through, he will allow them to slowly add a little more. Exaggeration is such a bad habit, he says. It could affect their careers down the road. Facial expressions should instead be a genuine response to a feeling that's happening inside. Dancers have to be honest, real, and in the moment, says Johnson, thinking of advice that Alvin Ailey used to give his dancers. Then they can use real-life experiences to inform their movements. She likes to incorporate this idea early in class, even at bar, encouraging dancers to be aware internally and externally through each exercise. Class is a practice in performing, says Johnson. 
Dancers should approach every combination as choreography that could be done on stage. This article, by the way, was written by Julie Diana, who is a principal dancer with San Francisco Ballet and Pennsylvania Ballet. She and her husband, Zachary Hench, now direct Juno Dance Theater in Alaska. Eye contact is such a tricky thing. Yeah. <laughs> such a tricky thing. Um, I That is where I'm working on currently, hmm. is keeping my eyes essentially level, um, not looking up or not looking down. The reason being, like, when I look up or when I look down, I'm in my own safe little bubble. Once I start making eye contact with people and, like, legitimately making contact, then I know they're looking at me, and that just puts me on edge. Um, So when I see people, granted, they've been doing this for quite some time, like Simon, or Rachel, or Joe, and when I've filmed off to the side or whatever, or somebody like Jesse has filmed off to the side, every time they turn the wall to where the camera is, they look straight at her or me, and they smile knowing the camera's on them. And like to be able to have that presence is so desirable for me. And yet I can't seem to figure out how they do it. Mm. (laughs) Um, It's very nerve-wracking for me when I'm dancing, just in general, on a floor with a sea of people and I make eye contact, let alone when I'm demoing. Mm. Because then I know they're looking at me even when I'm not looking at them, and that still makes me self-conscious about it. Um, but like how people actually are able to make eye contact is, is something I, I, I would very much like to learn. Yeah, at Stoney's, the, they have the lights pointed toward the middle of the floor. And sometimes I'll go toward the middle, but it's not like to be in the spotlight or be the show or anything. It's to get away from the eyeballs on the sides of the room. Because if I'm too close to the sides, then I'll turn toward that wall at some point, you know, one-fourth of the time. And... I'll look down or I'll look up or I'll like look past and I can do that so much more effort uh, so with so much less effort in the middle of the room where I can't see them anyway then my head is pretty much balanced I can just kind of look off wherever and just be in my zone and it's on the sides or at wine country line dance when I'm too close to the mirror or too close to any of the chairs where people are sitting that's when I start going down or up because I don't even want to look at myself in the mirror like I I don't want to see anybody's eyeballs anywhere I want to see the backs of people's heads of anything but mostly I just want it to kind of turn into a haze around me so I don't see anything in particular I'm just feeling it in my body yeah and it's interesting because for me there's a small fraction and I will admit it um, afraid of the judgment Mm. there is that small fraction still that's there Mm. but for the most part it breaks what I'm going through yeah same physically and emotionally it breaks it it stops it because I've made that contact with somebody and then all of a sudden my mind is no longer focused on the feeling of what I'm doing but what maybe what what the step is next, or maybe then it's the lyric of the song, or maybe it's you know that person right there. I haven't seen them in forever. I need to remember to say hi to them as soon as I get off the dance floor. Or something. I mean, it can be very innocent things, 
Um, so it doesn't always necessarily have to be the, oh, please don't mess this up. Please don't mess this up. You know, it's not always that. Um, but it still just breaks that flow for me. And I have to figure out how to look past it. Mm-hmm. Also, I like what they say about dancers have to be honest, real in the moment. Uh, one of the things that I remind myself is that it's a choice whether I do a dance or not. And if I'm not feeling it then, like if I'm not going to do pieces for all of the emotions it can express, but I would just be doing the steps, then why bother? Like I can just go get a drink of water or talk to somebody instead. Like I'm not going to go out there and look like I'm having this cathartic experience just because that's what you're supposed to do during pieces. If I'm not feeling it, I'm not going to do it. Yeah. This article, again, was by Julie Diana. This was on danceteacher.com, four ways to develop stage presence in class. And we have just a couple minutes left on our show. It's 2.58 p.m. Uh, what's new and exciting in your line dance world lately, Megan? Um, well, I'm back dancing again. I'm almost 100, which is nice. Mm-hmm. Um, really, really appreciate that. And let's see what else is there. Um, I am looking forward to uh, the Amy's and Friends Social in Fremont, California tomorrow. Yeah, they're actually playing Can't Walk Away. That's nice. They are. I'm uh, very honored and humbled by it. Um, I like that SoCal has been playing not only uh, Can't Walk Away to Craving You... Uh, by Thomas Rhett and Mary Morris, but they've also song-switched it already and kind of made it their own, which is kind of nice. Um, I kind of understand what uh, Michael Barr had said, is like, once you put it out there, it, it, it's its own thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of fun to see how it's evolved and where it's traveled and like what people have done with it. Um, I'm still very, very humbled and honored that people have been responding the way they have been. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, if anybody wants to try out doing uh, Can't Walk Away to uh, Stay by Zed featuring, who is it, Alessia Carr or yes. something like that, um, the camel walks go really well with that click part. Just yeah. a really fun thing to, to have there. Um, I would say the only other thing is instead of the restart, it's a uh, you just move the tag up mm-hmm. to where the restart would have been. Where the four count tag is in Stay, we just do the same four count tag that's uh, in Can't Walk Away when it's set to Craving You. Yeah. Uh, also, in the world of choreography, I just put KS for kicks up on Copper And it's Nob. adorable. It's, it's a fun little absolute beginner dance. Um, and we, we finished in April um, after Dancing for the Dream, but I was just kind of holding back on it. And then I saw Rhea was going to come out with something. And then she actually did. Uh, Rebel Just for Kicks is now available uh, on, on Copper Knob and Mind Dancer. And then Will Boss came out with his Feel It Still. So if anybody wants an alternative to either of those, because uh, theirs are Improver and Intermediate, respectively, uh, mine is just absolute beginner. It's a lot of fun. There are a couple of videos online, so yeah. I'd recommend checking those out. Which I plan on uh, teaching it next Thursday night at Hot Monk in Novato. Yay. <laughs> All right. Well, this has been Line Dance Podcast on Move Radio with Christopher Gonzalez and... Megan Barcelia. And until next time, we will see, see you, you on, on the, the dance, dance floor. floor.